Hello, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This episode is a really, really interesting and insightful conversation with the designer Ruben Patter. Ruben most recently published the excellent book, The Politics of Design, which looks at the cultural and political biases of visual communication. But, uh, you know, so much of his work seeks to kind of blur this line between design and journalism and covers topics like surveillance and drones and censorship. And I loved this book and felt like he was writing about so many of the topics that come up often on this podcast. So I reached out to Ruben and we spoke recently about the book, but also about research and writing and design criticism and the importance of studying and talking about design work that's outside of the uh, Western work that typically gets canonized. And, you know, honestly, that's just the beginning of it. We covered so much in this wide-ranging conversation. I left inspired and engaged. Ruben's an articulate and thoughtful designer, and I'm a big fan of his work, and it was a pleasure to talk to him about these subjects that we're both interested in. So, I encourage you to pick up the book, The Politics of Design, and enjoy my conversation with Ruben Patter. Um, I thought a good way to start was I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your background because I like on your website, uh, Untold Stories, I like how you have this phrase that your work is interested in the relationship between journalism and design. Um, did you study both of those things in school or how did you kind of arrive at this kind of uh, hybrid practice or where did that interest come from? So I, I studied graph design and um, much like yourself, uh, first I, I worked at different studios and then after a while I decided to do a master a degree because I, I wanted to kind of switch the way I was looking at design and, and working with it. Um, for, but for me, definitely uh, text and writing always has been part of my work. Um, and even at studios, I was like uh, probably uh, uh, maybe more than averagely interested in design briefs and the background right. of what the client was uh you know what was basically asking for which was not always something that the clients were waiting for so that was also interesting yeah um so so there's a i mean there's a reason why i don't call myself a journalist because i i have a lot of uh a respect for good journalism uh and and that's something that uh, that doesn't come uh, come easy so i would not want to compare myself to uh to to people who are doing this for such a long time and then in such a great, uh, great way, but I do find it very interesting. I, I feel uh, connected to the way that journalists kind of work and how how far they will go to kind of, kind of find out these uh, these these things that are maybe not visible on the surface. Oh, inter- so do you do you still refer to yourself as a designer? Like, do you think that the work that you're doing as graphic design? Y- yeah, that's. I mean, that's how I present myself, of course. What you see in this kind of, uh, especially the kind of uh, designers that that studied with me, you see that a lot of them they call themselves researchers or they call call themselves artists. I think that's something that's entirely up to yourself. Uh, I mean, these kind of boundaries are 
you know, social constructions anyway. Right. right. Um, you know, I, I mean, and so, and, and the reason why I don't call myself an artist is, is very simple. It's just about myself that, that uh, what I found really important and what I also want to get people to maybe kind of uh, react positive, positively or negative, negatively on my work is not just about the idea and the aesthetics, but especially does does it reach uh, a large enough audience? Mm. Uh, so, so I'm still, I still feel like I'm doing, doing, working in assignments, even though sometimes I come up with my own projects. I do, I do feel that uh, the kind of public, or the larger public, is my is my audience. And if they don't uh, see my work or they don't understand it, then for me, I've I've done something wrong. Um, so I think for me, that's kind of an anchor point to. To judge my work, you know, just personally, right. that 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 I have to go as far as possible to kind of bring this project uh, into the world to a larger audience, and preferably outside a kind of gallery or design or art context. Right. Okay. Oh, so that's interesting because that was actually that that sets up two questions that I had for you. The first one was, you know, you mentioned that you kind of worked traditionally as a graphic designer in a studio, and then went back to school did you know where you were headed at that point or did you kind of have a direction that you were interested in or or what were you thinking at that time uh or like what more did you want out of your design practice at that time yeah i mean i, I think for also for people who do a master degree in design i think the moment in your life that you decide to do this or what does it means for yourself or your practice is very personal yeah um so i was definitely not one of the standard students having worked already for 10 years okay. you know before starting uh starting starting to study many of the students at the sandberg institute where i studied they came straight out of art school um so for me it was really uh first of all it was a re- response to the way the industry works um so I, I think for me it was very important always to make uh to make design work that is visible mm-hmm. so i actually there's this kind of stigma that people uh prefer cultural clients over commercial clients or right. and actually but i actually found that if you work for a cultural client it can actually you know be just as much uh, you know a, a, a horrible client or right. it can be just as much a, a very uncomfortable process and i've some of the 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 best clients i've worked for are, for example in education where they were doing uh, school books and all the people i worked for they were teachers as well and you really felt uh, the passion so they were not making these school books out of I mean, there were marketing people there, and there was certainly an incentive to to keep a kind of market share. But you really felt these people wanted to just educate. Yeah. Um, so I feel very, I felt very like uh, connected to that when, and and of course the the the, the response for for doing a, a master's was of course all these instances where you work for a client where you feel you're basically you know, yeah, making wallpaper right. for a building that's actually you know breaking down in, in, the, in right. the inside right so do you, how, um i'm trying to think how to how to phrase this exactly uh i i liked when you were talking about that you see yourself as a, as a designer because you're you're still even in these projects that are a little bit more research-based or personal like refer to yourself as a designer still because you're still about communicating a message whether it is a personal project or for clients um and something like politics of design. And I was reading some of the other 
pieces that you have on your site, do you think about audience when you're working on those or, or who is the kind of desired audience for a project like that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely think about audience. So I think that's one of the reasons probably why I don't call myself an artist or a researcher or an academic, but I, 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 I prefer the word designer because I think also, especially graphic designers, I think what they are good at, I mean, they're also not good at a lot of things, but what they are good at is, uh, speaking to different audiences. I think, I think that's kind of a skill you have to develop. Um, so the politics of design is of course directed at designers, but then in the largest kind of possible scope. So, uh, working in advertising, doing internet banners, all these kind of layers of design is what the book is meant for. Right. And and I think with other, with other uh, works, I, I mean, it's, it's probably still uh, a lot of times kind of local is the, if the topic is local, but I try to kind of open that up as much as possible. Um, I mean, basically it means that I try not to kind of assume a too academic tone. Okay. And sometimes that, that can, if you, especially if you're reading a lot, that can kind of, you have to kind of remind yourself of that. Right. Um, so this is something I find important, but I also find it important not to kind of dumb down things too much or that everything is like allowed because I am trying to communicate to a large audience. I think you should still discuss uh, things like aesthetics yeah. uh, and also kind of creativity of language. I mean, just basically saying you want to kind of t- communicate to a large audience does not necessarily mean it has to be bland or it has to be, uh, you know, dumbed down. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's, Um. I wanted to talk about the politics of design because I think it's a, I think it's actually a good way to talk about all of your work. And I think it is such a fascinating project and a fascinating kind of thesis. Um, what, uh, what were the kind of origins of that or what were you, uh, what started you on that project? Yeah. So the, so just like I think my other design work, the, the politics of design, especially is rooted in, um, rooted in my work at, at studios. Um, so at the last studio I worked, which is called Lava in Amsterdam, uh, I was a little bit uh, um, doing some work with uh, kind of, um, how do you put that international cultural context? So, okay. I mean, once I was, I think in the most, I mean, I, I went to, uh, to, to Kenya and Tanzania to do one project, for example, and uh, also in a very strange assignment I did there was, design the identities for two airports in Siberia. Oh, wow. Both uh, two airports that I, I was not allowed to visit. I mean, there was no like funding for, <laughs> yeah. you know, going there. So I found myself like trying to design a, an identity in a language or in a, in, a, in, a, in a writing system that I was not very familiar with uh, about places where I had no knowledge, you know, what they were about. Right. Um, and I think you see that in, in right. the Netherlands and probably... At, at other studios in the world that especially the BRIC countries like uh, China and Russia are uh, they're they're kind of they're much much more clients coming from those areas right um, and you see that designers right. are struggling with kind of how do I um, you know can can I can I even work there and and what's my role as a designer in a kind of completely different cultural context so I already started collecting these kind of ideas when I was uh, working there Okay. So, so are you still doing, um, 
client work in addition to these research projects? Those are happening kind of at the same time. I mean, I, I do I do sometimes do assignments. I, I also have to admit they don't really ask me for those. <laughs> so it's not that I'm like against assignments. It's just that people don't really, you know, ask me to do them. I mean, I just designed a, a book for a, for a publishing house in Amsterdam, and I'm currently working on um, two exhibitions uh, where I was actually asked by the as a sorry as a spatial and graph designer for two exhibitions in Bristol and Amsterdam. But then I'm kind of asked from a kind of yeah cultural and art context. But it's yeah it's still an assignment, but not in the in the way I I used to do them at uh, at the studios. Okay, so so these types of um the i'm i'm calling them research projects do you what do you kind of call these like politics of design or the espionage one do you kind of have a term for those well i mean the politics of design is basically a, a book okay um so i yeah i don't i don't know if that's i mean for for any kind of book i think you need to do like research and writing and and all these kinds of things um and uh, the the sp- espionage puzzles is i think a self initiated design or illustration uh, assignment mm-hmm. um i mean i don't re- necessarily call them research because i think actually a lot of designers they do research maybe even all designers even yeah. if their work is like pure aesthetic or very very minimal i think actually a lot of designers think very hard and careful about these things but not everyone uh, kind of you know shows that online some people actually prefer to only show the kind of outcome or um, and I, I realized that it, it it's it means a lot to me or it, it's for myself my own process very meaningful to to share like the whole uh, not not just the, the the end result of the project but also what came before and what comes after it right um, I mean for, I think personally so this is why I also presented this way on my website uh, because I'm very interested in kind of those parts of the design process. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what my next question was going to be. Like you set that up kind of perfectly. I was interested. Do you see the work that you do for clients differently than the work that you put up on your website, or are they all part of the same process? And you're just illuminating a part that a lot of designers don't show. Yeah, <laughs> which could also be a way of uh, selectively uh, portfolio right. uh, what you <laughs> right. sometimes see. Uh, which is which is perfectly normal, of course. Um, so, uh, my kind of the rule is for my website that I only show projects that have enough um, foundation in kind of thinking and I don't know interesting, you know, side branches of ideas that I can make like a story out of that. Okay. So I guess one of the most the smallest kind of most design oriented projects on it is this uh this poster i did for uh, which is basically I, I just did the poster and 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 a small flyer for the samberg final year show okay but i found so many uh it's called the future so bright mm-hmm. and uh, but i found so many kind of interesting relations in this assignment that i i didn't feel it was like all it was not all like part of the the end result uh, so I decided to show that one, but there's a lot of projects I did, especially when I'm just doing a poster or, you know, a one-off kind of thing mm-hmm. where there's not necessarily enough, um, yeah, enough kind of foundation or enough, uh, in, enough interesting elements to it to show it. Right. 
Do you- Sorry, that's not necessarily about whether it's for a client or not, but I think that's more, um, yeah, the, more the extent where, where I feel that my contribution to the project is kind of, um, uh, yeah, has like a strong uh, foundation to it. I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like it's, uh, it's almost like you're making your thinking or your process visual uh, and sharing that as a story in addition to just making the artifact that you've made. You're actually making the process part of the artifact. Sure. Do you, I'm curious how you, I think it's interesting that like the politics of design was kind of birthed out of projects that you were actually working on. Has doing these research projects influenced how you are as a designer when you're back working with clients? Has that like, has that relationship gone both ways? Mm, well, like I said, I have not done that many right. yeah. assignments since if, uh, um, but it was interesting when I did the, the, the book design, um, for publishing house, the first thing they said is like, you, you make all these books, but you also write the content content for these books. So how, how will you design a book that you didn't write yourself? So for me, that's not really like a, a big issue. That's not really, but I can I can imagine that because you know, as a designer, you also need to kind of em- empathize and kind of inhibit the topic and ideas of someone else and and represent them the best way possible. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in many in many design uh, jobs, you're actually not expected, and actually, a very good designer is actually not uh, expected to to show um, his or her personal opinions or ideas about this particular. Um, right. Yeah, about a particular right. topic. I mean, that's the, of course, the whole kind of modernist design philosophy. When you make a book cover, you know, nobody's interested in, in what the de- designer thinks of the book. Your only yeah. job is to yeah. kind of uh, make a vessel for the thoughts and ideas of the writer. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think that's possible? Um, well, that's also, of course, what the politics of design yeah. is, is about a little bit. I mean, I, I'm, I have a lot of respect for the way that experimental jet set kind of how they, uh, how, how they have kind of organized their practice and how they are, they, yeah. they believe very firmly in this idea, you know, that they are just passing the kind of message. Um, but then again, the kind of what happens then is the, the double-sided, uh, after effect is of course that, uh, designers like experiments that has be- have, have become so well known that their kind of, their kind of, uh, signature becomes a kind of promotional image for themselves. Right. Just the way that uh, a building for, from a famous architect uh, more relates to the architect than it actually does to the owner of the building or the, the person who had the building built, for example. Right. Um, but of course, you cannot you cannot escape that as a designer. So that's a I mean, but it's an interesting. Uh, I think it's an interesting discussion. I don't I don't have like a single answer to what that. I mean, the only thing I say in my book is obviously that if a designer says I'm 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 neutral, you know, the way I designed this book has absolutely like no impact on how it is perceived. I think right. that is something that, uh, that, that 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 does not exist. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's something I've been thinking about a lot because I, I studied, when I studied graphic design in, in my undergraduate classes, that's how I learned about what a designer is, is they are they design these uh, kind of invisible vessels for content to feed through. And I thought for a long time that 
I was not injecting my point of view. And I feel like the longer I design, the more removed from that notion I feel, or the more impossible that, you know, that idea actually seems like it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I, you know, I'm talking to you. I, I'm actually going to be interviewing experimental jet set also. Uh, and Great. then, there, you know, there's people like uh, Meta Haven, and I just recently interviewed uh, Rihanna Petter and Mark Mulder. Do you know them? Uh, um, is Mark Mulder, uh, he's Dutch, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's, uh, I, I, I taught at uh, in Rotterdam for a while, and he oh, yeah. was uh, one of the teachers there. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he, both of them were here for a workshop here in Baltimore, so I interviewed them, and, and they're... I think I see a lot of similarities between things they're interested in and things that you're interested in with a very strong emphasis on research. And I think Metahaven has a bit of that. And I think Experimental Jet Set even has a bit of, of that in it. And I'm wondering, is that common in the design culture or design education where, where you guys kind of came up? Or, or what is it about kind of Dutch design that fosters that kind of critical interest in, in how they work. Yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> I know a that's a, I, yeah, I know that's a big question. Yeah. No, but it's interesting. I mean, like I try to avoid, um, it's very difficult to kind of frame, like, you know, imagine somebody was interview about your work and would frame you as a, you know, yeah. a designer from New England. I mean, right. that's uh, maybe you feel more connected to a designer in Germany or a designer in Mexico. So, it's it's um, yeah, it's 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 tempting. And of course, there's some kind of background to it because people are 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 yeah, they they are educated at schools, and these schools have teachers, and these teachers had their teachers. And right. I mean, for example, there's there's in my the way I was uh, taught. Uh, so one of my teachers in school, he worked for Sol Bass. Oh. So he was a, modern, a modernist thought Dutch designer. Oh, interesting. Who worked in the U.S. for, uh, in the US for quite a long time. Um, so he in, inhabits kind of both of these, uh, these, these things. So the kind of the way that uh, modernism took off in the post-war United States, uh, but also the way it, it kind of started in, in the kind of um, in the kind of European um in, the, in kind of european era mm-hmm. so i mean you can always i think make connections um but yeah and, and so far as reaches i mean actually a lot of people say that actually dutch designers are actually known for actually not doing any research oh, and being very well, being very well especially when it comes to product design something uh being very well in making these iconic mm-hmm. uh, uh comic and, and but also like playful statements that you know really react on the object or the material and there's also a lot of graph designers who who do that oh interesting um i want to i want to talk a little bit about uh criticism and design criticism since that's kind of a lot of where my interest is and i feel like yeah. you know your work is interesting because it's using design as a type of criticism i think um, and so I'm wondering how you think about uh, the discourse around design and how you're kind of participating in that through your own work, but then also, you know, what are other things that you think designers should be 
talking about. And you cover a lot of that in politics of design, I think. But um, just how do you think about that whole space yeah. and discourse? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so through the book, um, I mean, I haven't been that um, um, busy with de like design criticism or design discourse. Uh, I actually tried to avoid like reading a lot about design uh, because, be well, some of it can be, I mean, it can be uh, very much on the promotional side, yeah. which is very logical. Uh, also in the Netherlands, we have a much different kind of system where it's not possible to do a PhD or even to do a master degree in design criticism. So this is something that in the US has been for a much longer time uh, possible. Right. So what happens in the Netherlands is that architectural criticism, which is a university, uh, university uh, study at the university, and art criticism, these are kind of quite well developed, but design criticism is something that is kind of fallen between the cracks. Hmm. Uh, and for my book, I had to kind of get into a lot of it, or at least some of it. Um, and I, yeah, I find it difficult to, I mean, w what we can see in, in, uh, in the Netherlands right now is because, I mean, for, for the, the first thing I said is there's a, a lack of uh, people being educated in, in, in design criticism. And the second thing is also that, uh, the, the only design magazines that we had in the Netherlands have become defunct because of the lack of funding. Right. So there's so now no places anymore in the Netherlands, which offer, um, a platform for design criticism, which is a, a kind of widespread uh, complaint from from designers, both and and writers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's the same here in the states. Also, a lot of design criticism has fallen by, you know, kind of fallen out of favor because of economics or, like you were saying, commercial interests. Um, and design writing becomes kind of a thing to promote the designer. Do you? Is that something that you would see? Do you see a value in it? Like, would you like there to be more of it? Or I know you mentioned that you try not to read a lot of it, but uh, what would you like to see if, if there was more of it? Yeah, but maybe um, if I want to kind of respond in kind of uh, numerous ways, like, first okay. of all, what really, what really came out of my book is the what I did not really expect uh, or realize so much before is that the way we've been discussing design history and the way we've been teaching design history is uh, particularly flawed, mm. uh, at least in, in the context of European design school. So I cannot speak for, you know, the US. I can imagine something similar is going on. Yeah. But the fact that I was, you know, I was... Um, I was taught design history started at arts and crafts movement. And this is something that, you know, now uh, Victor Margolin with this kind of new design history project and also uh, the this this really great book of a critical history of design from the US that, that came out not, not too oh, long ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, uh, from, um, yeah, from two uh, authors. So these are things that are in the right direction, but uh, it's for me like... Uh, very interesting, and this is also quite quite sad that that most designers cannot imagine a design history book which does not feature Europe or you know the United States or the UK. Right. And this is something that we kind of have to get used to the fact that we've been kind of you know design history uh, has has really kind of overlooked uh, a, such a large part of the world, but also also all these kind of groups in society like. Um, 
uh, women doing uh, kind of all these design work at home or yeah. in a kind of domestic sphere, um, kind of non-official design, uh, which is more close to kind of DIY culture and all these kind of practices that have been completely overlooked because they don't fit this kind of idea of the official design discourse. Um, so I think this is a, this is really a big problem in the way we talk about design um, and also the way that we, you know, we, we, we still assume, and this, this also becomes of this, the way that we've been um, taught to think about design history, that Europe is still somehow the center of this, or I mean, the Western world is still kind of the center of this yeah. uh, world. Um, I mean, I read this thing on Design, which is this British design blog where two Swedish designers said, thanks to uh, IKEA, people in China now finally ha have access to design. Um, you know, <laughs> and, the, and the fact that, and I, I don't blame these designers uh, because this is the way uh, designers in, the, in Europe are trained. But I think we have to really like question how we talk about design and from our perspective and how we also um, kind of acknowledge other perspectives to be present as well. Um, and it's, and that's difficult because we cannot, you know, we cannot learn everything about design history, um, you know, from any country, from any kind of social stratus, but we're not even close to kind of acknowledging its existence. And, you know, we end up, you know, talking about the difference between two GR designers from right. this part of Italy or different typefaces that are, you know, from these parts of, of Germany. And I think it's also something that is, can become a kind of, um, a kind of blind spot mm -hmm. that uh, kind of brings, uh, brings everybody together in a very small area of, of design. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. It's something I've been thinking about too, because I've, I've been thinking about how, um, in design education, somewhere along the way, here in the States, I think, and this is kind of a blanket statement, so it's not fully true, but, or it's not wholly true, but I think there is truth in it, that somewhere along the way, modernism became the rule, and like that became how you define good design, and then mm -hmm. that came from a very small group of white men at a very specific time in history, and now, 60 years later, we're still saying we point to that and say, that's how you design, like that's good design. Mm -hmm. And how do you reconcile that in the 21st century in, in a world that is more globalized where we do need more voices and it's like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe that is like, you know, maybe that was good for a time, but maybe we need to rethink what's good now and get more voices into this conversation uh no i mean definitely i mean the thing is if it becomes much more and more complex but that's also the nature of you know the world and the way that you know people design i mean i think there's an there's definitely more and more interest in this topic I mean, I was a little bit uh, surprised that nobody else wrote about this the way that I wrote about visual communication in, in my book, yeah. which is also, I trust just to write it. I mean, in in, uh, in product design architecture, it's a little bit better. There's a, a really interesting professor from Kansas. Uh, she's originally from India, and she's, she's writing now a book about design from kind of non-Western countries focusing on South America, India, and, oh, great. Um, and I think some some countries in Oceania. Um, but, you know, of course, I mean, 
um, so I, I grew up with uh, with with uh, with modernist design education, and this modern modernism can be traced back to the 1910s mm-hmm. in in the Netherlands. Uh, so it's it's for me it feels very local, uh, and I also think that there's there's nothing wrong with that with the with the fact that these shapes and these forms uh, they are derived from a kind of long tradition of design. But I think we we do have to kind of watch out where. You know where this slowly became the language of international capitalism, and of course now this is kind of equal to you know looking like Apple means you will make more money. <laughs> right. This is this is what it, what what modernism comes down to. Um, yeah, that's a good and, point. And and of course there's yeah, well, and and of course there's nothing wrong with it. I mean it's all it's not. We also have to watch out that we kind of assume that if a company is from Kenya, they need to look african or kenyan or whatever that might be you know they could look, look exactly the same as a you know as a company in the netherlands or in the united states or in china or wherever um but we have to kind of be sensitive to the to the fact that all these visual cues and small details in design are not neutral and they all represent a kind of uh, a kind of statement yeah you know that's uh, that very idea is kind of where this project started for me and why I'm calling it scratching the surface is because I think that to kind of talk about design deeply today, we need to get kind of move past aesthetics and and aesthetics are important and how things look are important, but we need to figure out, we need to look at designed objects from a political point of view, from a commercial point of view, from how it lives in the culture or is born out of the culture and that's something i think your book does a really good job of uh kind of of explaining what is what's next for you or are you working on anything kind of building off of off of that um well also practically and maybe also for people listening this is also sometimes nice to hear and not just <laughs> also the the painful parts of the profession oh, yeah, yeah. It's because i was working on the book for one year i find it quite difficult now to i also i am longing for projects that only have to deal with aesthetics <laughs> uh, you know yeah. it's because i i was reading so much and and you uh, rationalizing so much and for a book like the political design this is this is great but i also now i i, I really miss that kind of other part of design uh, so I, I, I'm really looking now other, for other projects that, that really go into that. Yeah. Uh, and also not necessarily, I mean, I think what I do appreciate about any kind of level of design is that design does have, and especially is its, its aesthetics, if done well, it can have a really powerful effect that kind of supersedes um, wording. Mm. It, because it can kind of, uh, you know, embody different um, kind of, yeah, interpretations or even just plain associations that that are much much larger than than what you could do in kind of a a well written text, which can make it really um, for ex- actually for me, I think it can ma- make it really powerful when we address like issues that are almost too big to you know put into two hundred words. Right. Um, so I'm I'm still I'm still kind of excited about that. I mean. I'm I'm now hoping next year uh, to do a project about um, climate change and the extinction of of uh, species, yeah. as kind of designed by Elizabeth Beth Colbert's the sixth extinction, and to kind of imagine you know n- now there's especially in the art world 
but also I've, I think abroad there's this kind of discussion of the planetary turn. So, you know, after kind of roughly 20,000 years of human history, could we, could we possibly imagine a world where humans are not the center of culture? Oh, and, uh, and for me, that is kind of a challenge to, uh, because, you know, already thinking about this puts you in the center of the universe. So there's this kind of philosophical paradox about uh, imagining uh, humans uh, as a species and not just as the kind of top of the food chain. Um, and that is for me something that I'm, I, I'm, I want to work on with different illustrators and artists uh, and think about the idea if if we can make portraits of of species of different species so this is something i've been thinking about a little bit uh, lately that, yeah oh that's really interesting i have uh i have just two more questions and then we can can wrap it up and it, it kind of comes out of what you were just talking about um at the beginning of our conversation you mentioned that you still like to refer to yourself as a designer and that uh you have a lot of respect for journalists and researchers and artists do you what what are the skills that the designer has that can kind of bring to those fields or bring to those projects that might be different than someone who is just like strictly a journalist or strictly an artist or, or a researcher? Yeah, well, well, of course, not really any. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are artists and journalists can do exactly the same things. Yeah. So I I don't think there's like but if you, if you talk about the difference in skill or how I interpret the role of the designer yeah. is something that that uh, that I really learned from this uh, this wonderful book a critical history of graphic design uh, by uh, uh, Joanna Drucker and I, I forgot oh. the, the name of the other author was this idea that the first printing houses in the kind of uh, in the kind of 16th, 16th to 18th century the everybody did everything so it's it's i think this is a really wonderful moment in the kind of the history of print where the printer was also a type cutter but they also wrote texts and they also cut uh, uh images and they also made sure that the business was running etc and i really like this idea of i, I think in in a way that that's also sometimes a, a trap but in a way designers are they want to do everything themselves they have this notion of not kind of i mean an architect can cannot do everything th themselves so they have to be kind of a director right. but designers a lot of times they they have especially now with digital publishing websites and even with these kind of uh, you know the, the way that printing works today basically you you do everything yourself and that's uh, that that's the, the 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 downside is that, that can have the illusion of control yeah, where the designer right. says this is the truth and, and that can catch up with you but at the same time it also gives you a lot of power to to really influence all these parts of of uh, of the process and i think that's a very nice place to be in you know that we are not i mean if if a designer is publishing their stuff digitally you basically have no kind of you know you don't don't have like any uh kind of low-wage factory in india building yeah. your lamps chairs you you can uh, you can kind of control everything, but also you can kind of control everything to be kind of responsible or to be um, to be done in a way that uh, fits, you know, if you have a certain kind of agenda, if you have a certain message that kind of fits this message. And I think that is, uh, that is I mean, it's not necessarily a skill, but that's, that's I think, a very pleasant 
a moment where where yeah. we are now where we, have, where, where we have so much production capabilities at our fingertips and in in a way those are becoming more and more democratic uh you know you don't need uh you know you the the, the amount of kind of uh, it's it's not like filmmaking where this is still something where you have to first like get a million dollars before you can start you know making the film. Right. Um, right. Uh, I mean, if you don't want to do it in a kind of a professional large scale way, and of course a lot of these tools are kind of democratizing. But I think designers are in in a kind of nice uh, area where if they can do a little bit of programming as well, the kind of power they can have to kind of connect media and to connect voices and messages is I think uh, is is enormous. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's a that's an interesting way to think about that. My last question is is kind of the opposite: is what can for designers who are kind of working in spaces like you, what can designers learn or take from the journalists and the researchers and the artists to kind of deepen or or uh, you know help their own design practice? Yeah, I think that's that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Something that that I've learned from kind of other disciplines, people working in other disciplines, is that um, designers uh, tend to think about their projects being finished the moment it leaves the printer or it's like uploaded online. Right. And I think there's a kind of responsibility that goes beyond that. So, you know, what is a poster to look like on the street? What happens if, if you have 2,000 flyers left that get thrown out? Uh, so there's a kind of, uh, you know, there's a material kind of responsibility to that that has to do with climate change and waste. Um, but there's also the idea of that it's finished. And I mean, with online, it's changing a little bit, but usually it's like invoice paid, you know, printers finished, now next uh, project. And I think right. designers can learn from, you know, I, I mean, some architects actually deal with this, uh, urban planners, but also game designers. They tend to think more about the user. Mm. And uh, what's interesting about that is that, especially with the way that game designers work, they, you know, they'll, they'll like change things. I mean, you know, they'll put out the game, people will right. play it for one year like they'll like adapt they'll like change stuff and i think designers can be a little bit uh too much in the space where they believe that you know because because it's finished now uh, you know this is the way they see the world it's it's on their portfolio they have like a nice image next project that they don't really think about the kind of consequences of of what they did and also owning up to the fact that they could be wrong maybe you know right. maybe say okay we made this website it actually turns out it doesn't work you know let's change it let's make it better right um and, and in that sense i think you know designers have to give up a little bit of their kind of pride and maybe become a little bit more modest, but also a little bit more open to collaboration. And I think that could really enhance the kind of effect that design has. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, so I see that as I, a, I mean, my, actually my, I don't know if this is something that could ever work, but so there was, um, there was a group of physicists that got the Nobel Prize for physics for the gra gravity waves. Oh. Uh, for example, I don't know if you, anyway, so there's like more than a hundred scientists working on this project. Mm. So for, for a lot of kind of areas of science, it's very normal to, to be, a to do a very small part in a very large kind of research where you have like a continuous flow of information and data that is necessary to make a, a kind of collective effort, you know, that can actually be something that, that can actually achieve results that you cannot achieve by yourself. Right. 
and I think I don't I don't think designers are there yet. So I would I think I would it would be very interesting to to have design projects that are collective and where designers actually have to sacrifice some some of their kind of own you know it will it will not be in my personal favorite typeface or it will not right. you know use my 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 favorite colors but maybe you know working with a lot of different designers or even different disciplines we can actually achieve something that we that I cannot achieve myself yeah i love that i think i i think that i am 100% on board with that idea and i think that that's a perfect way to end this, I, uh, I am a big fan of your work. I loved the politics of design and I really enjoyed this conversation, uh, and thought it was really, really interesting. So thank you so much for talking with me. Well, you're welcome. And, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing uh, more of these interviews uh, on your website. This episode was recorded on November 11th, 2016. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.